The Corinthian Chronicles. That's the title of our talk today on Search for Truth. Brian Johnston, our Bible teacher, brings another talk in our series called Nothing But Christ Crucified, and it continues our studies from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Church of God in Corinth, or as it's usually known, 1 Corinthians. So let's go straight to Brian now and Corinthian Chronicles. Thanks, John. You know, it's claimed that in the Roman Empire, around the time of the New Testament, a dress code was developing. It became a case of you wear what you wore. It was a time when women were gaining more financial power and control over their lives, and some chose to go about bareheaded, showing off their elaborate hairdos and generally contesting convention. Married women of the higher social classes who were tempted to conform to this image of the new woman, might well have been a contentious test case for the particular church practice Paul insists upon now in the text of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is our study today. As for any factors which may have been influencing male behaviour around the same time, sculptures exist which show men taking active part in pagan rituals with their head covered. The male pagan priests at Corinth were usually drawn from the social elite, and this raises the possibility that active brothers in the Corinthian church were stressing their nobility by covering their heads. While these points are of general interest in getting a feel for what may have raised the question at Corinth, we'll see that the all-encompassing nature of the Apostles' answer shows that local and cultural matters are quite beside the point. So what does the Apostle Paul say? He begins by talking to us about an order which encompasses even the Godhead itself. Listen carefully to what he says at the top of the chapter, chapter 11. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Some have wondered if Paul's use of the word head here could mean source instead of meaning authority. But in no sense could God be described as the source of Christ. So it's important to understand the order given here in terms of an authority structure, especially because it's going to shape the argument which Paul now proceeds to outline. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. These two parallel statements require that a man uncovers his head while praying or prophesying, and conversely that a woman covers hers. Paul's Greek word means the woman's head is to be thoroughly covered, and generally in the Bible this refers to an actual covering of some kind. On the other hand, the command against men having their head covered is more literally against them having something down from the head. The very same wording as this is found in the Greek version of the Old Testament in Esther chapter 6 and verse 12, where Haman covered his head in shame most certainly using part of his clothing to do so. So having clarified the actual practice, 
which Paul's instruction here was insisting upon, we should again remind ourselves that the introductory reason stated for this happening is the hierarchical structuring of authority relationships in the order stated, God, Christ, man and woman. From that order, one which extends into the Godhead itself, Paul now turns to a second explanation for the practice concerning head coverings in church, and this time he picks up on God's order in creation. This is what he says, For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. In these verses we've just read, Paul shares a major key for interpreting this whole passage. Its significance is all too readily overlooked. But it's this, if a man ought not to have his head covered because he's the image and glory of God, then clearly these instructions go way beyond any local or cultural boundary and they must apply in all biblical churches of God at any time and in any place where they exist. And we should observe that this fundamental point of man being the image and glory of God is used to support the actual practice of head coverings and not only the principle of male headship. If the Corinthians had used the slogan that a woman ought to have authority on her head in order to lobby Paul that a woman should have the freedom to do as she wishes with her own head, Paul may now in fact be borrowing their slogan and giving it an ironic twist by telling them, yes, she should have the man's authority on her head. Whatever, the wording of verse 10 has to mean that a woman should wear a head covering, for nothing else is a satisfactory punchline to the argument that Paul's been advancing. So much for support for the practice coming from the order of creation. It's possible that Paul has slipped in a reference to a third kind of order in support of the Holy Spirit's insistence in the biblical text that we should observe these instructions regarding head coverings during church worship, prayer and ministry. I'm referring to where Paul says, because of the angels. It's by no means certain what that means, but it could realistically be a reference to angels ordered in their respective rankings, and so expecting to observe something similar when humans worship their God. But Paul's not yet finished. There's one more order he wishes to bring to bear on this. It's found in verse 13. He says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonour to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. As we've heard, Paul's fourth mentioned order is the natural or social order. When Paul once again argues from nature in his first chapter to the Romans, his basic point about what's natural is in terms of distinguishing and maintaining the proper roles of men and women. 
here in terms of a clear difference in the length of hair between the male and female genders. That now makes a total of four far-reaching arguments from the order of authority and the order of creation and the order of angels and the order of nature, all of which Paul sets out in this matter of the actual practice of head coverings, yet which is now largely overlooked. But what was it that we are meant to conclude from all this? Was it not firstly that a man wears no covering, for he is God's glory? This means God's glory is uncovered, even as God is subject to no one. Secondly, that a woman wears a covering, for she is man's glory. This means man's glory is covered, even as man is subject to Christ, and so the glory again goes to God instead. And thirdly, that a woman wears a covering, which also means that her personal glory, her hair, is covered. So women in church cover their heads and men uncover theirs in order that God gets the glory in each case in accordance with the hierarchy of authority with which this section began in verse 3. Finally, in addition to the four orders, Paul now adds a fifth argument and with this he sweeps away any possible variations in practice. He says that the Church of God in Corinth must keep in step with the universal practice of men's heads being uncovered and women's heads being covered, which then applied throughout the churches of God. Far from this being a local custom specific to Corinth, it was the single consistent practice throughout the entire first century fellowship of churches all around the Mediterranean, and the actual practice of head coverings is corroborated by the archaeological record. Second and third century pictures from the catacombs show Christian women praying with a cloth veil on their heads. The teaching of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2 to 16, is shown to belong to those occasions when the church comes together as a church, literally in church. We can confirm this because Paul speaks of prophesying primarily in the context of edifying the whole church. Head coverings are after all described as a church practice. And a church practice can only be unmistakably identified as a church practice when it's viewed in the context of the church being gathered together. Otherwise it could be confused as just being a personal habit. Then notice when, in verse 17a, Paul refers to this instruction, well, experts judge he's probably referring to the preceding one about the headdress of women. And the second half of the same verse ties that requirement for head coverings into those times when the church comes together. Finally, since the succeeding verses in chapter 11 are all devoted to the breaking of bread ordinance, which is definitely designed for when the whole church is together, it would naturally seem that this preceding section also applies to times when the church comes together as a church. And that's the case then when men are to have their heads uncovered and women to have their heads covered, according to Paul's writing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Yeah.
Once again, I remind you of the opportunity to send for the booklet to accompany this series. It's a very useful one in that it gives the Bible references and sources so that you can pursue further study if you so wish. But the book itself is a good read and well worth having. So if you'd like a free copy, please write in, making sure to let us have your postal address and ask for the title, Nothing But Christ Crucified. You can order by email or by post, and here are our contact details. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. I'll repeat that. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, make sure you look out for Search for Truth, featuring on www.twr360.org. And this will give you yet another excellent way of accessing the programmes again that you first heard here on air. Now, it's been great to have the pleasure of your company and I hope you enjoyed today's study. God willing, there's a further talk in this series next week, so please do join us if you can. Until then, very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So cheerio, and may God richly bless you. We